The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening. Just a reminder, you're welcome to move where you're sitting, if you, if wherever you're comfortable. Like we just put chairs, not knowing how many people are going to be here and how many are going to sit on the floor or in the chair, but you're welcome to move if you'd like. So I have uh, just two announcements that um, there won't be a Monday night class on December 25th. And then the following week on January 1, we will meet 15 minutes earlier. So it'll start at 7.15 instead of 7.30. And it'll end at 8.30 instead of 9 o'clock. So we're shortening the whole time by 15 minutes and meeting 15 minutes earlier. So January 1, 7.15. So I wanted to start with this uh, story, a little bit about, uh, comes from the Buddha's life that the tradition holds, that uh, shortly after his awakening, the Buddha said, wow, I want to you know, share this. Well, his initial spot was like, I don't think I want to talk about this. Nobody's going to get this. But then he was convinced, like, okay, if I'm going to teach somebody, I want to teach some of my former teachers. But his former teachers were no longer alive. So he said, well, I'm going to go teach uh, some of the people that I practiced with earlier. So he finds them and teaches them what, uh, what he had awakened to. And one out of the five becomes awakened. His name is Kondanya. And after hearing these uh, from the, the Buddha, Kondanya has an experience and then he says wow what wow I'm adding the wow part (laughs) it's a little uh, ad lib there but uh, Kondanya says whatever is subject to arising is subject to cessation that is like whatever comes to be will at some point no longer to be whatever has the nature to be born has the nature to die of course, of course. Often we don't think about it this way, but this was Kondanya's, after he was awakened, something that uh, he said, this was like his big insight that allowed him to become awakened. So that's the first person that becomes awakened that the Buddha teaches. We don't hear very much the details of the other four, because these uh, were these five uh, people practiced together and they practiced with the Buddha and then the Buddha went his own way and these five stayed together. So we hear about the first one. He says, whatever has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away. We don't know what happens to the four. They become awakened, but we don't know any details. Number six, somebody who is the opposite of these um, ascetics, these people that the Buddha was uh, practicing with, a very wealthy person. This person has lots of palaces and uh, has their life, you know, this opulent lifestyle. And uh, for one night, or maybe it's like early morning, he just feels like, you know, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. And he decides to go out for a walk. 
His name is Yasa. And Yasa happens to see the Buddha. The Buddha sees Yasa. And the, and, uh, and Yasa goes up to the Buddha. And, and the, kind of the Buddha invites him to like sit down. And Yasa is saying, you know, this is Diana's interpretation. It's not all like it's cracked up to be, to have all this wealth and uh, this opulent lifestyle. So the Buddha says, well, I'll show you some real peace. Gives him some teachings. Yasa has a breakthrough and says, whatever is subject to arising is subject to cessation. Whatever has the nature to be born is the nature to die. Things arise and pass away. They begin and they cease. So that's number six. Number seven is Yasa's father who comes out to find, what happened to Yasa? He wakes up in the morning and Yasa isn't there and his father comes out to see him. The Buddha gives his father a teaching and we don't know the details exactly. Oh yes, we do know a little bit of the details about that one, but uh, he doesn't say what is arising. What is, whatever has the nature to rise has the nature to pass away. So number seven is Yasa's father. Number eight and number nine are two women. So, you know, often we don't hear about this in the story of the Buddha, but the eighth and ninth person to become awakened, eighth and ninth student of the Buddha, are two women who also become awakened, and they also say, whatever has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away. So there's something about seeing that things have their the nature to arise and pass away that is associated with some really deep insight into some really deep uh, shift or change in the way that somebody thinks or considers the world or moves in the world. And that's a little bit what I'd like to talk about tonight is this recognition that things come and go. I can't help but do this with my hand because it's kind of like this, like they show up and then they are not showing up anymore. They arise and they pass away. Maybe I'll say that uh, some of you might know, be familiar with the Satipatthana Sutta. This is the kind of like the text, the premier text that talks about mindfulness practice. Talks about these uh, these foundations for mindfulness, and it has a number of different practices in there to help establish uh, mindfulness. Thirteen different practices. One of them is often what we teach: is you should be aware of the sensations of breathing. But in this uh, foundational text, after each uh, instruction about mindfulness is then the instruction to abide contemplating the nature of arising, the nature of passing away, and that the, na- that the phenomena have the nature to both arise and pass away. So one of our key texts and practices is pointing to this insight things arise and pass away. So what does this mean? Well, maybe one thing that I'll say is that um, these instructions or this pointing doesn't require that we actually see the moment, the precise moment something arises or the precise moment that something passes away ends. We don't have to see every single beginning and we don't have to like see and be present for every single ending. 
But it's just this deep recognition like, oh, yeah, everything's beginning and ending. Wherever I look, there's a sense of beginning or, or ending. And we might say, well, mountains, of course, are, uh, they're not ending. But, right, every time an animal walks on the mountain and dislodges just a tiny bit of soil, the soil is only going in one direction, right? It's always only going down. The wind does something with the soil, it's only going one direction too. It'll be a really long time, but mountains also are changing, right? That's why we have a Grand Canyon and you know all these types of things. So even... What are the things that we think are stable are actually changing also? So I talked about this uh, seeing this arising and passing away is associated with uh, awakening, but I want to share some other benefits of noticing the changing nature of everything, really. Things I keep on using this expression arise and pass away, how there's coming and going. There's this way, this recognition that things will not always be the same can bring actually some depth and meaning to our lives. But we tend to take for granted things that we're like, oh yeah, okay, it's going to be there tomorrow. But there's this way of like just recognizing, like, yeah, I don't actually know. But things are going to be the same way tomorrow. This is a valid assumption for many things. But, you know, we don't exactly know what the future is going to hold. We live in earthquake country. Maybe there'll be an earthquake. We don't know. All kinds of things can happen. We don't know. It's just awful, right? Maybe you guys have this feeling too, like to see accidents on the freeway. Like, oh, right, these people, whoever was in the accident, they weren't planning that. This came out of surprise and, well, knock on wood, right, it's uh, not us going home tonight, but there's no guarantees. So there's this way, this recognizing that things can change, they do change. Maybe it helps us appreciate the moments that we have. And there's a book written by Stephen Levine, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I can't remember if it's Levine or Levine, but nevertheless, um, a year to live. How to live this year as if it were your last. And there's been courses on this book that are taught at Spirit Rock and elsewhere. I haven't read the book. I haven't taken the course. But I know people have had, and they have uh, have shared with me how just this idea of like, okay, what would you do if you knew you only had one year to live? Well, your priorities might shift. In fact, chances are your priorities will shift. And they, something that I really appreciate is they talk about like having more courage. Like, okay, I'm going to do those things that I want to do, even though I'm afraid to do them. Often we don't do things because we think, oh, I'll do it later when it's easier, when I have more courage. But if you realize, no, I just may not even have these opportunities. This recognition that things change. Maybe maybe that supports having a sense of courage, even though there are fear and uncomfortable things. And 
And also people have reported this, if they realize they have one year to live, that they take the time to repair some relationships that might need some repairing, making amends or doing whatever needs to be done in that kind of realm. Like taking care of those things so that uh, you can leave without the people, I don't know, having unfinished business. It's terrible, right? If you have unfinished unfinished business with somebody and they die, then you don't really have a chance to finish it in maybe the conventional way. You still have opportunity with your mind to get to a different place with it, but it's not the same exactly. So this one benefit of impermanence is this recognizing we don't have forever. And maybe we'll start to get our, what what is that expression that the doctors say? You better get your affairs in order, right? (laughs) Maybe we'll get our affairs in order, not wait until we have some terrible diagnosis. But another advantage or benefit of impermanence maybe is so obvious that it goes uh, without saying, is that if things couldn't change, then there would be no growth, There'd be no maturation. There'd be no learning. There'd be no, like, the sense of movement towards greater and greater freedom. I mean, that's implicit in this whole idea that we can mature and change. So impermanence means that we'll be, it's possible to let go of those things that are not so helpful for us and to develop different ways of being in the world, different habits, different patterns more loving-kindness, more care, more presence, more mindfulness, being careful with our speech, our actions, all these things. So that's the second benefit of mindfulness. A third one is also something that often we don't think about too much, but if things weren't changing, it would be just awful. It'd be like, stultifying, boring. I'm reminded of, maybe you guys uh, remember this movie, uh, Groundhog Day, which I just love this movie. I've watched it many, many times. And this character, right, who has this experience, happens to be Groundhog Day, but he has the exact same day over and over and over again. And uh, early in the um, movie, after it's, he realizes that it's always going to be the same, are all the different ways he tries to kill himself. Dropping a toaster in the um, bathtub or driving off a cliff with the groundhog at the steering wheel. You know, all these things. Just this recognition like, oh, there's like no sense of going forward if it's always going to be the same. So there's these ways in which, you know, impermanence or changing nature really add some can add some depth and meaning to our life. But I also want to kind of like circle back around to how I started this with these stories of these individuals who are getting awakened. There's this some wisdom that comes with this letting go. And maybe I'll start with this that um or I'm sorry, this wisdom that comes with seeing impermanence. Because if we sit with our experience, like if we're really present for our experience, we'll see that it's changing. 
It's always changing. There's either a flickering or it's um, getting louder and then softer or it's moving location or, you know, intensity. It's always changing a little bit. But what isn't changing are notions we have in the head, abstract ideas, concepts, those, those like, you know, we just uh, have some steadiness, but our actual experience, what's actually happening, is always changing. And to make this distinction between an experience and a concept that is a label that we assign to the experience are two different things. The map is not the territory. The menu, reading the menu, is not the same as eating the food. Completely different. But they're both pointing to cheeseburger with fries, for example. So part of impermanence is, or noticing or practicing with impermanence, is to notice this. Is to notice that it's not um, that the con the concepts are staying the same. And when we are relating to the concepts, it feels like everything's the same. Oh yeah, here I am. I'm bored again. I'm doing this meditation and I'm just bored. And if you just think, okay, I'm bored. It's like every other time. Or I'm restless, just like I have been every other time. Or I'm having a hard time staying awake, just like every other time. If you have a relationship with those words, then it feels like every other time. But if you sink into the experience, oh yeah, there's a sense of like, I just want to get up and run away or I want to get up and write that note on my phone or I need to send that email I forgot or add that thing to my shopping list or whatever it is. Or maybe sometimes a sense of boredom comes with, oh my gosh, this reminds me of high school English, it was so boring, and I don't know, we all have different associations. So the experience is always different, even though we might be using the same word. And there's this way that um, recognizing that the, not the, how we use the concepts, to describe experiences, but also if we really are with the experiences, we can also notice they have the quality of changing, being in permanent beginning, ending, changing in intensity or something. But if we are with our experience, there's a way in which we can also start to like get underneath maybe the experience instead of it being something, the sadness, this experience of the excitement in the chest maybe, of excitement or maybe some concern, the shoulders going up and feeling some tightness. We can get underneath and notice the qualities of these experiences. So there's three maybe elements. There's the concept about the experience. There's the experience itself, which is mostly bodily experiences. And then there's the qualities of experiences. And these qualities are that they're changing. 
And so as we start to see this deepening, this start, starting to see the qualities rather than just the experiences themselves is a type of deepening. Maybe like concepts, experience, qualities. And it's this recognition of the qualities that can have a real transformative power. But how can we do this? How can we make this transition from concepts to experiences to the qualities? And part of that is to have a sense of stability with our practice. This sense of gatheredness, this sense of collectedness. And how that might work is we start where we are. Of course we do. It's not possible to start anywhere else. But just to acknowledge, you know what, I feel really agitated and I feel like anything except stable and collected and gathered. That might just be what the experience is. Or maybe it's just a subtle amount of agitation. But there are many ways in which we can be like fragmented or jumping around or have a little bit of restlessness. And there's layers and layers and layers of this as we'll discover as the mind gets more and more quiet. We'll discover there's more and more subtle layers of this agitation. But we shouldn't underestimate like how powerful it is just to name it. This is a concept, but it's a way in which we are no longer turning away. Like agitation is here and it feels like this. So is there a way that we can not be agitated about the agitation? Not be restless with the restlessness. Not have aversion to the aversion. But in some way, just to turn towards it, acknowledge, this is the experience right now. It's restless. I feel restless. There's restlessness right now. I'm using these words, restless and agitation, just to cover a whole range of everything that isn't just this uh, sense of collectedness or gatheredness. And this part of like learning how to recognize what's happening in a way that allows what's happening to be happening, very powerful. Not easy, something that's definitely a practice, but is there a way to just be with, okay, it's like this right now. And maybe the mind can only like, it's like this, and then off it goes, you know, into something else. And then it comes around like, oh yeah, okay, I'm agitated. Oh, then off it goes, and then it comes back around. But is there a way to not be agitated about agitating? But instead, maybe you could ask yourself, how can I be with this agitation in a way that's not in conflict with it? Without pushing it away, without demanding that it be different, without wishing that it were different, but instead to kind of like honor and respect our experience. And there's something about the allowing, not being in conflict with respecting and honoring our experience that allows some disentanglement from what's happening. So there might still be restlessness, there might still be agitation, there might still be sloth and torpor, 
longing or aversion, doubt, whatever it might be. It might still be there, but the problemness of it drains out. There's still the same experience, but it's not something that we're trying to make different. Instead, it's like, oh yeah, this is what restlessness feels like. It's uncomfortable. It's not my preference. And it's like this. Wow, this is powerful. Because then we can bring that into so many areas of our lives. We can show up for our life and show up for other people in so many different ways. So to ask this question, well, how can I be aware of this agitation in a way that's not in conflict with it? In the sense that we don't have to get rid of anything. We don't have to make it different, but instead just to show up for what's happening. Because if we are going down this path of mindfulness and this collectedness, we will all discover sooner or later as we're searching for security and safety in a place where we can finally get everything perfect so we can rest and relax. Of course we are. We're looking for this. This place where we can just abide happily. This is to be found in this in an attitude, an attitude of trust, an attitude of allowing. There isn't some perfect place where we're going to land and it's going to be perfect forever. It's instead of rec- this recognition of the feeling of not feeling safety or Uh, security or settledness is so much related to our trying to shove things to be different, manipulate, engineer, manufacture, or push them to be a little bit different. Maybe I'll say that again, that so much of our feeling rests or feeling like we want a sense of security or a place to land is because things we often are not landing. We're trying to make them be different. We're trying to somehow not be with what's happening. So the real security and happiness is, comes with this sense of allowing, with allowing things to be as they are, even if it's not what we want. And to be sure, I am not talking about just passivity for the rest of our life. I'm not talking about becoming doormats. I'm talking about when we, when it just the trying to make things be different gets put down, then something else can arise. And some of this something else is this great wisdom that leads to awakening and is part of awakening is that when we see that things, oh yeah, things are arising and passing and I can't make them be exactly how I want, there's this deep letting go that just naturally happens. We don't make this letting go happen. There's just this recognition that it's meaningless to hold on, to cling to changing phenomena. And trying to change things is one form of clinging, even though it doesn't feel like it. 
It's the way that we're getting tangled up with it. But it's meaningless to try to control and quarrel with the changing phenomena. And there's something deep within us that realizes, oh yeah, things are changing. I don't have to hold on. I don't have to try to control it. And then there's just this letting go. And this letting go is transformative. And it's part of the characteristic of the first stages of awakening is about this letting go. And it can all start just with this insight that things change. And there's can be this way that maybe as the mindfulness or the concentration or practice uh, deepens or matures or whatever word we want to use, there may be a time in which we're just noticing the beginnings of things. This is the most common. Because things that are new like catch our attention. But then maybe with practice we'll start to see, oh yeah, things are ending too. Maybe we don't see the exact ending, but we start to notice absences as well as presences. Oh yeah, that pain in the knee is not the same as it was. In fact, actually, I had forgotten about it. Or there's this um, way in which we might just notice that things are flickering like really fast. And so they don't have this sense of solidity that we thought that they did. Often we can't see this until the mind is really quiet. Often this is not until we're on a retreat setting. But we start to see that, yeah, things aren't like as solid as, uh, as they uh, often appear. So this idea that things have the nature to arise and pass away. This is not meant to just necessarily just be a teaching and something you have to adopt and believe and we can bring in science to support it. But there's a way in which that's just a... Uh, deep recognition that happens. Oh yeah, everything's changing. And there's just this natural letting go that happens. And with that deep kind of letting go happens, is a really deep freedom as well. This, there's no longer a sense of desperately trying to control everything. Often that's where we lose freedom, right? Just when we're trying to control or we're feeling like we're getting pushed around. But but maybe I'll end there. This idea of impermanence and how it's related to many benefits, of course. But importantly, it's related to some deep insights that lead to greater freedom. And maybe with that, I'll open it up and see if there's some questions or comments. So he'll bring you a microphone. So. Hi. <clears throat> I'm glad I came today <laughs> because exactly where I am. <laughs> nice. Trying to to let go and just it's uh, changing 
try to change it so hard. It's like I don't accept what's happening or what's not happening. It's I'm so happy that I can't. <laughs> you you said it all. <laughs> it's, it's it's I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna practice it, and I meditate all the time. So maybe with the mind mindfulness, I could stop this. Keep changing. Keep as you said. It's like. What I have is enough. It's more than enough. Mm-hmm. But still, I am looking for something else to be complete, to be more secure. And when I look at it, I say, I am secure. I am okay. But still, deep down or in my mind, I want to change it. This is not good enough. So <laughs> I'm glad I, I hear you. I think it makes sense. It yeah. really makes sense mm, in you. in the realm of mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. In the realm of um, what Buddha did, mm-hmm. or uh, nothing permanent. And I love it that it's just arises and passes. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And there's a way that we can practice with this just in our everyday life, just noticing you know, the beginnings of things. Just say, okay, I'm just going to notice the beginnings of things, or I'm going to notice the endings of things. Just you know, going around our everyday life and just setting that intention. Usually at the beginning, we won't remember. But then if we just keep on setting that intention, eventually we'll remember. And it's like, oh yeah, this is ending and then there's a way in which there can be a little more freedom. We can just discover, yeah, it's that everything's changing. And it becomes a little yeah. bit easier. Exactly. Thank, you. Thank you. And did you, did you raise your hand back there? So can you bring the, give the microphone to her? And then we'll move right over here. Thank you so much. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful topic. And it seems very simple, impermanence, but... Um, I think the hardest thing is when I'm trying to let go my attachment to what is, especially if things are long-standing. If things have been a certain way along for a long time, it's really hard to let go. It's really hard to accept that something has changed. And that clinging and that fighting to fix, the fighting to go back to things were despite knowing that this too shall pass and things are impermanent and I know all of those things but it's just really hard to put it into practice. Yeah. Maybe one thing I'll say is like we, like all of us understand this thing about impermanence. So it's not so much an intellectual understanding as it's a way in which we just deeply know it. And part of the way that we deeply know it is just to see it again and again and again and again. So there's something that can be really powerful just in your everyday experience. Uh, I'll just make this up. Like uh, just noticing how the sensations within your hands are changing throughout the day. 
Sometimes you are feeling things that are cool and uh, hard. Sometimes you're feeling something that are neutral or they don't are not too heavy. Sometimes you feel something that's heavier. I don't know. Just choose something and you just notice like, oh yeah, this is changing. So to get into the physical experiences and to change them is what's uh, often needed. Because we can think about these things and that's often not enough. There's a way in which to, to know it in a different way, in an additional way. D- does that make sense? I'll try. Thank you. I think in, even in the FEAR conference, somebody talked about body scans and how they had underestimated body scans, yeah. and then they realized that they're actually... So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, body scans is a good thing too. Yeah, yeah. And then... Do I do anything to it? I'm just speaking to it. Oh, okay. Well, this is probably going to sound kind of mundane. But Mundane's well, good. Mundane's good. <laughs> uh, I, I'm terribly resistant to change. It's absolutely incredible. I get an A-plus in being resistant to change. <laughs> but today was really strange. I, I decided I wanted to go to East-West Books. You probably know East-West Books in Mountain View on Castro. And uh, first, first of all, I go, oh my God, where am I supposed to park? They closed off the street. I'm in a state of panic, right? Because I couldn't remember which the cross street was. Uh, but finally, I was set in the right direction. And just out of the blue, this really nice man was was walking down to Books, Inc. And we started chatting for a few minutes. It was brief, but it was very pleasant, very nice. You know, we were talking about how there used to, Books, Inc. used to be upstairs. And there was a coffee house upstairs. And that was so cool because I love that place. And then, uh, what was the order? I went into East-West, and there were two women who were extremely helpful. I said, I need something, I need, uh, something for anxiety. What do you have? Well, they, the whole, book, whole bookstore has changed completely. Those little books with affirmations used to be at the front. Last time I went there, which was probably years ago. And so she was leading me all around the store, and just, just incredibly helpful. I, I was amazed. And then after I left... Uh, uh, I went into went into um, what is that place called? A uh, little, jeez, oh, Paris Paris baguette or whatever it's called. Um, and lo and behold, a French woman. I mean, I didn't even know she was French. I said, "Vous êtes français? Française? Vous êtes française?" And she says, "How did you know?" I don't know. I just <laughs> it might have been the way she was dressed. And then we started talking, exchanging. I didn't expect this to happen, you know. <laughs> really connected, really connected. And then after I left, going towards my car, there was this Chinese woman, I think she was Chinese, Asian, out front of uh, one of the places. And uh, we started talking, and she just, she said, well, you know, don't worry about this, you know. I, I guess I started talking about wishing I had a boyfriend, you know. She says, you'll, you'll meet one, you're going to meet one tomorrow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe, because I was open-minded. That's really what it was. I was open to change. And I need to be more, to be more open to change. So, uh, well, I don't want to force it. Just let it happen naturally, right? Well, there is this way that says, I need to. It's the kind of like embedded I I in that. Said like, that. <laughs> yeah, right, like I should or something. But... Why not do the same thing? Just start noticing change, like simple, tangible change. Yeah. 
And there's a way that it just makes it more like, oh yeah, of course everything's changing. Like once we can like turn our attention to it, then it'll just start showing up everywhere. And then once we start to see, oh, it's already inherent in so much of my existence, mm-hmm. then it just becomes a little bit more familiar and less uh, a problem. Yeah, I like it. Just noticing what's already happening. Yeah. Thank you. Volunteers. I guess not. Okay. <laughs> I think maybe Scott here will uh, take it. Well, just before I was here this evening, um, I arrived early and was laying in my car, a little snap, take a little nap. And I did suffer a loss about a year ago, coming up on the anniversary. And when I was laying in the car, I was kind of thinking, well, it is the nature of things to die and to pass on. And I take some comfort in that, and then I start wondering, is that sort of a, is that an adaptive stance? Um, uh, it seems sort of like a, I'm sort of rationalizing, you know, I've suffered this thing, and okay, well, that's kind of like saying, well, it's not so bad. Really know where I'm going with this, but uh, it feels like uh, there might be an element of clinging and even asking that question arising. Like, is this is this a useful thought to have? Just to look at that and say, well, we all we all die. All things die. Mm. But I would say that grief, though, is something to really honor and respect. And that, of course, there's grief with loss. And something for us to recognize that we all have our own timelines, our own ways that we express it. And and to say, like, oh, all things die. There is a way that maybe isn't honoring the grief, if there's still grief there. And I think that's part of our process is to recognize that this is what's happening. Yes, we understand that things die, but that doesn't mean we don't feel acutely that loss. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Because maybe I didn't say that explicitly. I'm talking about impermanence and things and But I do want to say right there, of course, there's loss. Of course, heartbreaking loss. It's just part of this human condition too nobody nobody's immune so I was going to make a comment Uh, like you I I really like uh, Groundhog Day. I, I listen to it almost every single Groundhog Day. Oh, you do? <clears throat> you can't not watch it. Yeah, I mean, I have a copy of it at home. And one thing that came to me was what shifted for him was that when he went from seeing his existence as a burden to seeing something that was valuable, that he loved... And it was that love and respect and valuing 
that really made a change to um, how he held everything. I, I agree. When he stopped being so self-concerned, instead was helping others. And I love this scene. Do you guys know this movie? Like where the there's all these uh, older ladies. Their their car gets a flat tire, and he's already there, and he's helping to um, change the tire. He's jacking up the car. I don't know. There's something so sweet about this. I just love it. So yeah, thank you, Jim. Thank you for that. Okay, well, I guess even this class tonight is impermanent. (laughs) I'm just wishing you all a lovely evening. Thank you. And a safe travels home. And I'll see you next week.